We are talking about prayer. have been talking about prayer for 10, 12 weeks now. And um, I don't think you can talk too much about prayer. <laughs> it's kind of foundational to everything, isn't it? We've been talking about one particular kind of prayer. We'll be talking about some other kinds of prayer uh, in the weeks to come. But so far we've been talking about one very important kind of prayer, and that's the prayer that God uses to bring His kingdom here on, on this earth. We pray, Father, let Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what's sometimes called petitionary prayer or warfare prayer. Uh, it's just the means by which, one of the means by which, a central means by which God builds His kingdom here on earth. And what we've seen so far is that God really does, the sovereign God really does entrust His people with say-so. We've got power to affect what happens in this world. We have it on a physical level with the decisions we make. We also have it on a spiritual level. And our say-so on a spiritual level is prayer. We've looked at a number of variables or principles that are in the Word of God that uh, affect the power of prayer. Prayer is, is effective when it's done in faith, when it's done with persistence, when it's done in righteousness, when it's done with fasting, when it's done with numbers, when it's done according to the will of God. These are all things that factor into uh, the effectiveness of prayer. All of those variables or all of those principles relate to our drawing close to the Lord. They are not magical hoops that we jump through to kind of pull the God lever to get goodies in our life. God isn't into magic. He's not into formulas. He's into relationships. And see, all those principles, God, God wanted, His goal for the creation is to have a relationship with people who choose Him as He chooses them, who love Him as He loves them. He wants an intimate relationship with them where He's in their life and transforming their life, every nook and cranny of their life. And because that's God's main objective, He wires it into creation such that the closer we draw to Him, the more power gets flown through our life, the more power of God can flow through our life to affect Him. The closer we get to God, the more our talking with God changes the world. That's what it comes out to be. The more our, that's why Jesus said in John 15, Abide in Me and I in you. And ask whatever you will and the Father will give it to you. Well, the, the, the presupposition is there, there is that we're abiding in Him. The term there means to dwell in. What he's getting at here is this. The Lord wants a mutual, indwelling, passionate, intimate relationship between Him and His people. And as we dwell in Christ, He defines our very being. And as Christ dwells in us, He transforms our being. The more that happens, the more we become conduits of change. And God's power flows through our life. We talk to God and it changes the world, praise God. We also saw two weeks ago an important uh, thing that God just kind of laid on my heart uh, out of the book of Job. And that is that even that can't be turned into some kind of a formula uh, that, that guarantees a certain kind of an outcome. We live in a complex world because God created a world that's filled with a myriad of free agents. And all of those agents have power to, to some degree, affect what happens in the world like a, a rock dropped in a pond that causes ripples, so also every decision an agent makes, a free agent makes, whether it's angelic or human, changes the world a little bit. We're still living under the effect of Satan's fall, that ripple effect. We're still un living under the effect of Adam's fall, that ripple effect. And so it is with every decision people make. It affects the world a little bit. The result is that the world is a very complex place, where you can't always know the cause and effect relationship between things. More specifically, we gave this diagram. And that is this. We know that prayer changes things. God tells us prayer changes things. 
James 5 says it's powerful and effective. It accomplishes much. But because there's a lot of variables involved here, it doesn't always uh, produce the results that we're praying for. Or we don't always see the cause and effect relationship between what we pray for and what happens. The world is a vast place and uh, it's a complex war zone. And we see less than the tip of the iceberg of all of that, as we said two weeks ago. So that's why faith is needed for people to pray with persistence and pray with faith. We like to see cause and effect relationship. We like to see right away the results of what we do. But unfortunately, in this world, we don't always see that. God does answer prayer, but because of the complexity of the world, we don't always see the exact way that He answers it. I think if, if God withdrew all the power of prayer, we'd really see the difference that prayer makes. You see, you, you don't know how many times your kids have been protected from disaster. We just begin to take it for granted, you know? We only notice when it doesn't get answered the way that we're praying. And then we wonder, well, God, why didn't you answer that prayer? But if God just sort of sucked out of the world all of the power that's found in prayer, you'd see what an incredible... I wouldn't want to see what the world's going to look like uh, because of that. Still, you need, you need faith to pray. Faith in the Word of God that God's telling you the truth to pray with persistence. Now, here's an important question that... It's, it's a real practical life question and it touches a lot of areas of life. And this is what I want to speak about this morning. How much responsibility do we actually carry... Uh, in changing this world, individually and collectively. In this complex war zone, how much of the responsibility for the world, for your circle of influence, do you own? And how much should you not own? More specifically, let me me give you an illustration. Someone uh, recently asked me this question. And by the way, whenever I use an illustration from a conversation I had with someone in the church, I get their permission before I do that. Um, even though I don't use people's names, people don't like to be talked about in sermons. So don't be afraid to talk to me. I'm not going to use you as sermon material unless I ask your permission. But sometimes I forget uh, who told me something, and that's so just give me some grace here, okay? But in this case, this woman was really getting the point. For the first time in her, li- in her life, she was really seeing uh, how it is that prayer really matters. And she was beginning to sense this, this, respons- this, this responsibility and the, the urgency that attaches to prayer. But she was kind of running wild with it. She had been praying for her neighbors for some time, and then she stopped praying for her neighbors. And her neighbors uh, ended up having a lot of marriage conflict and separating and things of that sort, getting a divorce. And then she was wondering, is the reason why they got a divorce because I didn't pray for them? I forgot. Uh, For a year I didn't pray for them. If I would have prayed for them, would they have stayed together? And therefore, is, is it my fault that they got a divorce? You see? Her kids, uh, one of her children are starting to have some problems and she's wondering if you know, she prays for her kids, but maybe she's not praying enough. Maybe she'd be, she, she should be spending all day on her knees. A relative uh, died of cancer and she prayed for this relative, but maybe she didn't pray enough or maybe she didn't have enough righteousness when she prayed or maybe she didn't have enough faith when she prayed or maybe she didn't fast enough when she prayed. Did she kill her relative by not praying right? Did she divorce her, cause her neighbors to have a divorce because she didn't pray for them consistently? And see, she was starting to get into this world of condemnation because she was taking ownership for too many things. In fact, she began to look at the world around her and see all the things that are not in line with the will of God around her and begin to wonder if maybe some of that's all her fault because she should be praying for that. Maybe every starving kid on the planet is her fault because she's not praying for them. And so she's in this world of, 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 of condemnation. Uh, we need balance here. In fact, we need balance everywhere. Amen? One of the things the devil uses, most strategic lines of, 
of, uh, of, of offense against us is to get us to be in balance. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says that uh, we forgive and, and basically could apply there any aspect of Christian life so that we may not be outwitted by Satan. There's a being who's trying to outwit us, trying to trick us, trying to deceive us. Amen? For we are not ignorant of his designs. We need to know his designs, his intentions, his plans, his strategies. It is to me a scary thing how little the average, most of the Christian populace knows about the strategies of the enemy. And if you're not aware of them, you can be, you can succumb to them. One of his main strategies for Christians is to push us to imbalance, to go to one extreme or the other. And when you take a truth and live it and think it and believe it in an imbalanced way, it produces an untruth that usually has uh, a catastrophic results or at least harmful results in a Christian's life. When it comes to responsibility in the Christian life, there's two extremes that the enemy pushes us to. One extreme leads to passive Christians. The other extreme leads to neurotic Christians. The first extreme is, to, is, is the enemy says this. Uh, there's no responsibility you have. Because see, God takes care of it all. Everything ends up fitting into the will of God. Whatever happens, obviously, was the will of God. So, so it wouldn't have made any difference whether you would have prayed or not. And uh, you can, with regard to everything that happens, just say, oh, that was the will of God. You know, uh, a church, they're trying to raise money. We, they don't pray for it. It doesn't happen. So people say, oh, it must not have been the will of God. Uh, you know, you, you don't pray for a ministry. It falls flat on its face. It must not have been the will of God. You don't pray for your marriage and it falls flat and get a divorce. You say, well, it must have been God's will. I mean, you, you put the label of God's will over everything. But see, the Bible just doesn't agree with that. And we've talked a lot about that the last ten weeks. The Bible says that James 5.16, prayer is powerful and effective and accomplishes much. Everybody say much. It accomplishes much. You can't affirm that without saying that the lack of prayer accomplishes much as well. Things that God wants to have happen don't happen if the people of God don't pray. And what that means is that we really do carry moral responsibility for some of what happens in this world. Don't go to the extreme of thinking that, uh, uh, that you really don't make a difference. You do make a difference, a profound difference. God needs you to cooperate with Him for things, certain things to be accomplished on, on earth as it is in heaven. Just as much as He needs you, parents, to cooperate with Him if your kids are going to be raised right. God loves your kids, but He's using you to raise them. And if you don't agree with that, then the kids don't get raised the way God wants them to be raised. So it is with prayer. There are things that God wants to have happen in the, this world that will not happen if the people of God don't pray. We have a moral responsibility to be prayer warriors. Amen? But there's another extreme that we haven't talked about yet, but which is also just as dangerous. And that is to us talked about yet, but which is also just as dangerous. And that is to assume... Yet everything is your responsibility. Take too much ownership for the troubles of the world. And this is what this woman was, was doing. She was uh, thinking that somehow everything revolved around her. She took the truth that she makes a difference to the kingdom of God and, and thought herself into the position where basically the kingdom of God revolved around her. And that's as much an error as thinking that there is no responsibility of God. Where do you draw the line? That's the question I'm asking here this morning. Where do you draw the line between what you are responsible for and what you're not responsible for? And in doing all of this, I'm confronting one strategy of the enemy to get us to go to extremes. 
I'm going to give two basic principles here that really will help us, I think, in living a balanced Christian life when it comes to praying in the middle of this complex war zone that we find ourselves. Principle number one, distinguish between what is your responsibility and what is God's responsibility. God is God. You are not. And that means that there's a difference between what you're responsible for and what God's responsible for. Now, you think this would be self-evident to people, but it's not. It certainly hasn't been self-evident to me. Um, here's, here's, a, here's a little logical argument that I had to kind of think through a number of years ago. Uh, for most of you, this will be intuitive, but some of us are duller than others. And so this logical argument really helped me uh, decide what I am and am not responsible for. It goes like this. Premise number one, you are limited. Right? You're finite. You're limited. Premise number two, the problems of the world are unlimited. Conclusion, you can't solve the problems of the world. <laughs> Am I smart or what? I can't. Well, you know what? Sometimes we try to. Sometimes we take uh, the ownership of all the issues uh, that are out there. When I was uh, first a Christian, first became a Christian when I was 17, and I was on fire for God and, and just passionate. I'm also kind of compulsively logical. I, 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 I think things through to what I think is their logical conclusion. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that is not such a good thing. It leads me to some weird conclusions that I think are perfectly logical. So, for example, here's I was taught when I was first a Christian that people need to hear the gospel, right? They need to hear the gospel. And they won't hear the gospel if people don't tell them the gospel. And if they're not told the gospel, they may be going to hell. Yeah, that, 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 that's all true. Now, I thought, well, the most important thing in life is to keep people from going to hell and get them to go to heaven. And that's true. But then the next step was this. I thought, well, if that's true, then anything I'm doing is not important unless it's about preaching. Therefore, I should never do anything but preach. You know? And now if I'm watching a show and relaxing, you start to feel guilty. If you're just kicking back with some friends, you're starting to feel guilty. And, and there's condemnation that starts to come on you. And you're walking down the street, you're going shopping, and every person that's passing you, you're wondering, are they going to go to hell because I didn't share the gospel with them? I'd have dreams of these people on the judgment day. Here I am before the, you know, the, the judgment's there, and, and, and I'm going to heaven because I believe in Jesus, and there's all these people there that I passed on the street downtown Minneapolis shopping one day, and they're saying to me, I would have believed if you just would have told me, why didn't you tell me? Now I'm going to go to hell, and you're going to heaven. Why wouldn't you? You're too busy shopping, too busy with your own self-centeredness to share the gospel with me. Why, Greg? Why didn't you? Ah! They fall. You know. And I'm supposed to go, oh, I guess i got to go to heaven now, you know. Man, is that not you up? Hey, that, that is just condemnation all over the place. I got to the point where, you know, I'd be watching a show on a Sunday night and, and all of a sudden I'd feel guilty thinking, oh, how can I be sitting here watching the TV when all these people are going to hell? I got to go out and share the gospel. So I'd go out there and I'd be knocking on doors. You know, and they'd open the door and I'd say, you know, do you want to believe in Jesus Christ? And they'd go, what? It's Sunday night. It's my family time. Goodbye. And shut the door on me. I developed a great compassion for Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses during this year. It's like, whoa. There is no less effective way of spreading the gospel than to do that. But you see, it wasn't about me having so much joy in my life. I wanted to share Christ and just having the victory and wanting other people to have it. This wasn't done out of joy and out of fullness. It was done out of guilt and emptiness. And when you do things out of guilt and emptiness, it never produces good fruit. I didn't bring one person to the Lord doing that. I did that for about eight months. Even in January... 
uh, going out there and, and knocking on the door and, and whatever. And my heart was in the right place, but my head was just a little bit screwy, as is typical of me, I guess. But you see, the Lord finally got a hold of me and, and basically said this, Greg, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you a profound truth. I am God and you are not. Amen? I am God, you are not. I got big shoulders, you got puny shoulders. I can carry the burden of the world, you can carry the burden of a couple. And so I will, I'll take responsibility for the world, I'll take responsibility for doing what is right on the judgment day. You don't have to worry about that, I'm the judge of the world, you are not. I will send you, when it's uh, time, uh, people in your life that you can begin to influence and develop a relationship with, and in a very natural way, instead of this Bible-pounding way, share the gospel with them, because you love them, and you have a relationship with them, and you're developing credibility with them. Maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, but not the whole world. Let me carry the burdens of the whole world. And what a joy it is to have that lifted from you. To say, you know what, I, I, I'm not Charles Atlas. I can't save the world. This applies to everything. You can't save the world. You can't take responsibility for all the loss in the world. Maybe you can take responsibility for one, or maybe two this week, maybe two next year as God leads you, but you can't save everybody. The phrase that I got in my mind was this, do your best and leave the rest. I read in a poem somewhere and it just stuck with me. Do, do your best with what God leads you to do, and then rest, leave the rest. You can't feed all the poor in the world. That's another one that I began to carry. You know, I, I began to feel guilty for everything I had that somebody else in the world didn't have. I began to feel guilty whenever God would bless me with anything. And that's not doing anybody any, any good either. It was so freeing for me to read in the Gospels how Jesus, His first ministry, His first miracle was at the wedding of Canaan when He changed the water into wine. And he goes to the wedding feast, the guy's running out of wine, so Jesus says, okay, we'll get some more wine. And it uh, changes the water into wine. Now I'm thinking this. How can you waste such miracle power on, on, on wine? And it already had a lot of wine. You know, there's, there's people in the world who need that miracle. Why why'd you even go to the wedding in the first place? In the two hours or three hours, there was a Jewish wedding, so probably seven hours it took to have that, that wedding. There's probably 17 people who died on the planet who could have been raised from the dead if you would have spent your miracle power there instead of at the wedding. What about all the crippled kids? What about all the people who needed to hear the gospel? Why spend time parting at a wedding changing water into wine? But see, the point you get from that is this. Jesus is the Son of God, and as, and as incarnate, He's a full human being. And human beings aren't meant to be Charles Atlas. We don't carry the burdens of the world. You will fry. You will be burned out. You'll live in condemnation. I almost gave up on the whole thing when I was trying to knock on doors all the time. The discouragement and, and the, the pain of living under that kind of knotted up guilt is just too much to carry. Humans are meant, we're created to have times where we just kick back. We're created to have space for our life. Created to hang out with people. Created to go to, to celebrate weddings. Created to... Well, I don't want to say drink wine, but, but uh, it's a Baptist church, so we're not going to say that. But you know, to kick back with some friends and, and, and party some. Don't spend all your time partying at weddings. Don't spend all your time drinking wine. There's a war going on, and you have some degree of responsibility. But don't carry all the responsibility of the world. You will crash and burn on that. It applies to every area of life. You can't feed everybody, but maybe the Lord will lead you to help feed and school two or three or four kids through Providence Ministry or whatever ministry the Lord leads you to. You can carry that much. 
You can't uh, pray for all the burdens of the world, but maybe God will give you a few burdens that, that, that you can carry. You can't make everybody at this church feel welcome, but maybe God will lead you. In fact, I'm sure God will lead you to reach out and greet a couple of people and make them feel welcome. You can't single-handedly tear down the walls of racial division in our culture. You can't tear down the, ra- the racial walls of division uh, in, 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 the, in the church. But you can tear down one or two by reaching out to people of color and, and greeting them and embracing them and, and inviting them over and befriending them. God doesn't ask us to do everything, but He asks us to do a little bit. Do your best and leave the rest. I'm so grateful that uh, we have a role to play in building of the kingdom. I'm so grateful that we're not puppets, that we're persons with say-so and moral responsibility. It gives our life significance. The thing that's meaningful in life is when you can get behind a ministry, you can invest in it, you can pray for it. You know, when when we help share the burden, it, it is what makes our life meaningful. It's the one thing that lasts forever. I'm glad God gives us a role, but I'm so glad He doesn't give us all the role. I'm so glad that He is God and we are people. And He gives us the niche of the kingdom that we're supposed to build. And He says, do your best, be committed to that, and leave the rest. And as we walk with God, He'll tell us what to carry. He'll also say, tell us what to leave. Know that you are not God. Distinguish between what you are responsible for and what God is responsible for. Second principle. Distinguish between your, what, is, what is your responsibility and what is others' responsibility. In a complex world like we live with a multitude of free agents, responsibility is almost always shared. And it's, it's important to realize that. So you, don't, you own what is yours, but you don't own more than is yours. A lady I knew one time, uh, several decades ago now, she, she, uh, her husband was electrocuted while he was on the job as an engineer or electrician, uh, he was electrocuted. And she became convinced that it was because she forgot to pray for him that morning. Normally she would cover him in prayer and, and uh, for protection and whatever, for blessing. And that morning something happened and she just didn't get around to it and he was electrocuted. And so she took the whole responsibility for his death upon herself. In fact, she had some Christians in her life who told her that that was the case. Now see, she has... It is better to pray. You know, there is protection in prayer. But in a complex world, there's not a direct cause and effect relationship that you can discern. Yes, it, it, would, it would have been good for her to pray. Would that, would that have made all the difference? I don't know. But there's other variables here. For example, in this case, there were some people who left out some cords exposed. That was irresponsible. They bear some of the responsibility. The husband himself wasn't uh, paying enough attention, apparently, and, and that's part of why it happened. Somebody left some water on the floor, and that contributed to it. It should have been mopped up. You can't own all of the responsibility. Keep a broad perspective. It's a complex creation. We often simplify things, and it comes back to bite us. There may be some responsibility she carried. But we, but we drop the ball like this all the time. And if you're not careful, the enemy will use your dropping the ball to beat you to a pulp. And what she just needs to do is this, to know that she has maybe a little responsibility here, because prayer does make a difference, but she doesn't have all the responsibility. And to take the area she does have responsibility for and ask God for forgiveness, and then to forgive herself, and then to get on with living again. You can't live your life thinking that you murdered your husband because you didn't pray for him. Sometimes we treat ourselves the way we treat football players and the, and the, who drop the ball in the fourth quarter. And it's like this. You, you, you know what I'm talking about here. You know, Vikings are playing the Packers and, uh, uh, you know, uh, who's our quarterback? I forget. The quarterback, <laughs> Cole Pepper, Mr. Pepper. 
Um, throws the ball to Chris Carter, and, and Chris Carter drops the ball. Or Chris Carter never drops the ball, but somebody else would drop the ball. There's three seconds left on the clock. We're down by four. It's right to him, right in the breadbasket, and he drops the ball. And then everybody in the stands say, and maybe the, 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 the receiver himself says, Oh, it's all my fault. If I only, if only I would have caught the ball, then we would have won the game. Everyone in the stand says, if only you would have caught the ball, we would have won the game. Condemnation, guilt, shame. Okay, he should have caught the ball. There's a little responsibility there. But let's not forget the fact that there's five other people who dropped the ball in the first quarter. And if they would have caught it, the, the outcome would have been different. There's seven people who were open and Culpepper overthrew them. You know, that, that would have made a difference in the game. The quarterback shares some of the responsibility. What about the guy who didn't, who didn't uh, block his guy and the guy got through and tackled Culpepper just before he was going to throw a touchdown pass? That would have made a difference in the game. And the stupid ref who made three bad calls, you know, that influenced the outcome of the game. And what about our defense that just really bit this game and they let all our guys go past them and they caught all those passes? I mean, the responsibility is everywhere. But see, we don't deal with complexity very good, so we like to reduce it all down to one little thing here and say, you are to blame. Thou art the man, you know? We do this to ourselves. It's like we, we, we take ownership for what happens in the fourth quarter because we're close to, closest to the event. And what we need to understand is the world's a complex place and the responsibility is spread out all over. Take responsibility for what is yours and leave the rest. A lady I read about some time ago had buckled her kid uh, or had, had put her, her child, a little infant, in a, in a car seat. And the buckle wouldn't work, so she just kind of like just folded it over. We do that, don't we? It's like, okay, that's enough. And we, we go driving. Well, she got in a car wreck. And tragically, the child became a projectile that she smashed into this car and, and it was killed. Now, I don't know if she's a believer or not, but it could be that if, if she was a believer, she might have added to the guilt here, thinking that, oh, I should have prayed for protection and then I wouldn't have gotten in a car wreck. Now, it, it's good to buckle your kids up. And no one would disagree with that. And it's good to pray for protection. No one would disagree with, with that. But you can't live your life thinking that you just killed your kid and it's all your fault because you didn't buckle them up just right and, and you forgot to pray before you got in the car. Get a broader perspective. Consider the fact that there's many kids who never get buckled up and they never get injured. So you can't take all the blame for that. There's a lot of other kids who do get buckled up and they still get killed. There's people who never pray for protection and they don't get any injuries. It's a complex world. It looks arbitrary because the variables are, are so great. And there are, there are kids who get prayed for all the time and some of them still get injured and killed. You can't reduce all the variables down to one. It's your fault, you see. And then think, for, think even broader than that. What about the driver who pulled in front of her that caused her to, to, to go into this other car? He bears some responsibility. But it even goes broader than that. He wouldn't have pulled in front of her if he, if he would have had a rearview mirror that worked, but it was cracked all to pieces because some vandal threw a rock at it. I'm making this up, but I'm giving you an illustration here, okay? <laughs> and uh, so the vandal who cracked the mirror uh, you know, bears some responsibility. But the driver still would have seen her if he wasn't so tired, and the reason he was tired is because he had a fight with his wife late last night because their marriage is really bad because they're not working on it, you see? So they all bear some responsibility. And there's probably other drivers on the road, and who knows what spirits were doing at the time. You can't reduce the enormous complexity, the infinite complexity and the problems of the world down to one. It's all your fault. Yes, it's good to buckle up your kids. Take some responsibility for that. But then you go to God because He's a God of grace and love. Amen? And you say, God, I made a mistake here. We do this all the time. It's just that it turned out this way in your life. So you say, I'm sorry. You receive forgiveness. You forgive yourself. 
You learn from it, and now it's time to go on living. I've got two verses I want to share with you that really just uh, are, are, are so freeing. Two verses. The first comes out of Matthew chapter 22, where he says this, God is not the God of the dead, but He's the God of the living. God is not the God of the dead, He's the God of the living. The past is dead. The past is gone. The past is over. It's complete. God wants to start with you right now. You just took a breath. That means that you're living. That means He's your God. And He wants to be in your life and working through your life to bring you out of the bondages of the past, whatever the past may have been. Jesus said this. He said that he, the thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy, but He comes to give life and to give it more abundantly. And He doesn't say, I give you abundant life if your past was all well and good. He doesn't say, I'll give you abundant life if you never made a mistake, if you prayed just right. He doesn't say that. He says, I give you now. To sinners, He says, I give you now. To people who have made some serious oversights, He says, I give you now abundant life, praise God. He's the God of the living, who right now, His will, I don't care what you've done in the past, right now His will for you is to have abundant life. It's to have joy life, amen? It's to have His peace in your life. It's to have His forgiveness in your life, praise God. Whatever the past is doesn't matter right now. There may be life consequences you've got to deal with. But you've got to know this. It's past. It's gone. What is real is now. And God is the God of the real. God is the God of the living. You're living right now, so start living. Amen? Amen. Take responsibility for what you're responsible for. Don't go to the other extreme and try to excuse it. Because you know in your heart, you do carry some responsibility. You know, we, we, we so often try to buy a little bit of, of peace by trying to pretend like we're not guilty. And, and, and when we really do have some guilt, we really do have some responsibility. But the, wonderful, the thing is this. You purchase that, that false sense of peace when if you take the, acknowledge the, 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 the guilt, bring it before the Lord, receive, confess it before God, let Him forgive you, forgive yourself, and go on living. And now you're going to have real peace. Don't try to buy pseudo-peace by excusing yourself. Confess it and get real peace. But get the real peace. He's the God of the living. He's the God of abundant life. It is tragic. It's sad. You shouldn't have got the abortion. But how long are you going to let the devil beat you up with that? Living in the if-only zone. If only I wouldn't have done this. I should have done this. I could have done this. Why did I do this? How long are you going to let the devil beat you up on that? It's past. It's gone. Take responsibility for it. Confess it before God. Receive forgiveness. Forgive yourselves and get on with living. Praise God. Give it to God. Amen. The marriage that fell apart. You know, take some responsibility for that. There's others who were involved in that as well. You, you don't take all the responsibility, but you did have some responsibility. Take ownership for that. But how long are you going to let the devil keep on beating you up and making you think that you're a second-class Christian who can never get back on right track with God? That's hogwash baloney in Jesus' name. God wants you to start living now. He wants you to be free now. He wants you to enjoy His power now. Confess it. Receive forgiveness. Forgive yourselves and get on with living. It's sad that maybe you wasted a lot of years chasing the dollar uh, at the expense of your kids. You know, you look back and you got regrets all over the place. And maybe your kids are actually suffering some consequences for that. Okay, take ownership of that. Don't pretend like it didn't happen. It did happen. But you've got to understand that God's bigger than those wasted years. And God's the God of the living. And God wants to give you abundant life right here and right now. The past is gone. It's dead. You can't change that. Start right now. And receive God's forgiveness right now. And forgive yourself right now. And get on living with a more than abundant life, a more than conquering life in Jesus' name. 
all the opportunities we've missed, the prayers that we didn't pray, the people we should have reached out to, millions and millions of things we didn't do. We're all guilty. All of us are guilty to some degree in, in different areas. How many times have I not buckled up my kids? How many times? I hardly ever wear a seatbelt. Uh, you know, that's wrong. I'm confessing it to you, okay? And you need to learn from the past and, and, and so you don't keep on repeating the mistakes. What you got to know, what you got to know is, is that God is the God of the living. There is no life found in living in the if only. It's like a, it's a rat on a treadmill. If only, if only, if only. You can beat yourself up to, to, to a pulp and the devil loves every second of it. If only I hadn't done this. You live in the shame game. You live in the blame game. Passing judgments and running a perpetual commentary of your life. And what was good, what was bad, how you should have done this, should have done that. I wish I hadn't done this. Now my life is forever ruined to this extent or whatever. There's no life found in the if only zone. No life found in the shame game. No life found in the blame game. No life found in the perpetual wonder of why. You can't, you can't crack that egg. Why did it turn out this way? Well, it's about as complex as the universe is. Give up on the blame game. Give up on the why game. Give up on the if only game. And get into the Jesus game. The day, man, life is found in surrendering everything to Jesus Christ. Taking the mess maybe that you've made out of your life and saying, Lord, take it. Lord, you can do something with it. Lord, forgive it. Life is found in God's forgiveness. Amen. Life is, amen. Life is found in receiving the joy of God. Life is found in receiving the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life. Life is found in living for the God who is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Life is found when you receive the abundant life that is yours in Jesus Christ. Life is found when you realize that starting today, right now, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Receive it, live it, walk it, breathe it. Amen. 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 You know, maybe you're sitting here and, and this happens where... You know, no matter what the preacher's going to say, you've got a commentary going on in your brain right now, and you're saying, oh, yeah, but, but this, but this, but, you know, oh, you don't know about this. You know, yeah, no one else in this congregation is, is at this place. You don't know what I've done. You, yeah, I've done things that you can't possibly reverse. You can't possibly, you know, put that scrambled egg back together again. You know what? That's true for all of us. Yeah, there are things we do, and, and we can't take back. That's why the grace of God is such good, good, good news. You know, if it's not for the grace of God, we are hopeless because we can't undo some of the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. But what you've got to know here is this. I don't care how big this sin was. I don't care if you're a first-class axe murderer, you know. God's bigger than an axe murderer. God's bigger than your abortion. God's bigger than divorce. God's bigger than the affair. God's bigger than your past lying. God's bigger than your past drug addiction. God's bigger than that. Take it to God. Say, you're the God of living. Amen. Amen. Receive. You don't pretend like it didn't happen. It did happen. You don't try to minimize it. It was bad. But God is bigger. God's goodness outruns your badness. Praise God. So you confess it. You confess it. And then you receive forgiveness. And then you forgive yourself. You forgive yourself. When you don't forgive yourself, when God is forgiving you, you're playing God. And remember what God taught me. I am God. You are not. If I say you're forgiven, you're forgiven. You see, don't try to outboss God. Forgive yourself, learn from it, and begin to move on. God can resurrect your life, whatever you've been, whatever whatever the past has been. Don't go to the strategy of the enemy of saying no responsibility. Don't go to the strategy of the enemy saying all responsibility. You had some responsibility. You confess it, receive forgiveness, forgive yourself, learn from it, and go on. And now watch what God will do. 
He's infinitely wise, and I don't know how He does it, but He's able to turn that bad, the mistakes, the failures, the pain, and the suffering, and rather than living a life that's full of negative consequences, somehow, He's so wise, He turns it into a positive thing. He, turns it into, he, he brings good out of evil. Romans 8, 28. In all things, however bad they are, God is working things together for the better for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. He doesn't like what happened any more than you do, but now that it happened, He says, okay, we'll start here and watch me with my creativity. He is an artist. Man, He fashions some incredible designs out of the failures out of our life, out of the pain of our life, out of the wrongs that were done in our life. He fashions some incredible things. It's about yielding to Him. It's about surrendering to Him. Surrender to His forgiveness. Receive it. Surrender to His wisdom and let Him now make fashion out of you as you are right now, however bad the past has been. A genuine, a genuine, beautiful work of art. He somehow weaves the dark streaks, the ugly things in our life, the messy stuff, into a beautiful vase. It contributes to the, to the trophy case that we are before the Lord, praise God. It all starts when you surrender to the Lord. And some of us here, most of us here are probably believers. And maybe there's things you need to just yield up again one more time. You need to surrender it. Are you holding on to some junk from the past? Can you believe God enough to say, God, you can start new right here. I release it. I release it. I confess it. I receive forgiveness. I forgive myself. And now, Lord, walk with me as I go on. Some of us need to let go of that. Others are here and maybe you're not, you've never really committed your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to give you the chance to do that right here and right now. Can we close our eyes and, and with, with the uh, people of God start to pray? And I just want to give everyone a chance in this auditorium to make sure that when you leave here, that forgiveness is really with you. You really are a child of God. 